Hey, welcome into a very special podcast edition of Thursdays Are for Thinking. I'm Nathan Brown, and in just a moment, you're going to get to hear from Dr. John Lloyd. John is a physician here in the Austin area and also serves on the elder team at Mosaic Church. We thought this was a perfect opportunity to have John in to help us think about this health crisis that we are all facing, but maybe more importantly, help us to think about how we as the body of Christ can respond during this time. I know this is one that you are not going to want to miss, so let me get you right into the conversation with John. Here we go. Well, John, I'm really glad to have you on here to visit with us. This is a a special podcast edition of Thursdays Are for Thinking. We do know that we've got some people listening that maybe haven't been to Mosaic Church or maybe haven't been here very long and may not even know who you are. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. My name is John Lloyd, and I have been a member of Mosaic or what was then Christ's Community Church. I guess when I got here, it was Morning Star, which tells you how long I've been here. We have three names uh, ago. Quite a while. Uh, <laughs> that was about 03, and have been an elder here since 2010. 2009 was a, was a transition year where kind of God called us off the back row up to the front row pretty quickly and was part of redrafting the, the bylaws, doing a, a pastoral search, which led in recruiting Morgan here. And so God has really given me an opportunity to, to, to see a lot of amazing work that he's done in our church here, here locally. As far as uh, professionally, I'm a, a neonatologist, which means I work in an intensive care unit taking care of babies. Our practice takes care of uh, babies in six different hospitals, works out to 21 or 22,000 NICU patient days a year and about the same number of newborn patient days. Uh, it's about a team of 50 that it does that work here in Austin, including Dell Children's and Seton, Maine, and the other Ascension facilities here, as well as Cedar Park. So able to do a lot professionally. The, the COVID outbreak has obviously hit our uh, system like the other hospitals here uh, in Austin, and it's really created quite a bit of opportunity to learn a lot about coronaviruses and work on planning uh, for the city. I'm a father of four. We have been quarantined with four teenagers in the house, which is terribly exciting, as you might imagine. Mm. The, the last three of those are, are boys that are 13, 14, and 15. So it is a, a very intense, active household with a, an 18-year-old that just finished up really her last uh, assignment or two for high school and will be uh, heading off to, to college this fall. So. So what you're saying is you have absolutely nothing going on in your life right now. Exactly. I, I, I have lots of free time to sit around and and, and think big, deep thoughts. <laughs> no, it's mostly like waking up on fire and going to bed on fire and trying to keep the burn, trying to keep the burn at something manageable throughout the day. So. That sounds about right. Controlled burn. That's a good way to put it. Well, man, we are glad to have you here. And I think we just, we want to kind of talk about a few different things, obviously serving on our elder team here at the church and providing the spiritual leadership that you do, which I certainly have benefited from for many years, along with hundreds, dare I say, thousands of people at this point. We certainly want to hear your thoughts on what it looks like as a believer to respond to the kind of circumstance and, and societal condition that we find ourselves in right now. But also, also, of course, with your with your medical background and what you didn't tell people is your master's degree is in public health. Is that correct? 
That is. Yeah. yeah I, I, I got a master's degree in public health in Chicago when we were up there. So, so yeah, I can, I can dust off the public health information and, and it, it certainly has brought a lot of new words to our community that people didn't really uh, have before, you know, talking about flattening curves and, and penetrance and infectivity and virulence and all these other things that, that that impact kind of the spread of viruses through communities you know we as a we as a society have gotten a bit of a crash course in the managing of diseases within populations which is terribly important work but until recently certainly hasn't gotten a whole lot of playtime in the media it seems to be all we talk about now social distancing donning and doffing all these terms that i don't think people would have known what personal protective equipment was 12 months ago so certainly has been quite a big change for us. And it is. It's interesting. I'm one of those weird guys that will occasionally read a dictionary or I prefer a thesaurus. That's a little more fun just for the fun of it to find words that I don't know and try to learn them. But I have definitely learned some some words and terms and certainly heard them in use for the probably the first time in my life over these last two months. So you're exactly right on that account. And John, one of the challenges that we have, we have had as I, I think as a church, as a society, as just individual people over the last few months, is first of all, knowing what to make of the information that we hear. I mean, you go back to like the Spanish flu, as they call it, late 1918, around that time frame. I'm imagining that most people, they had like one, maybe two sources of information. These days, we've got literally thousands at our fingertips. I've been surprised to learn that virtually all of my friends on Facebook are expert epidemiologists and economists. <laughs> I didn't know that before now, but I have learned that they are all experts. And so, you know, you just get thousands and thousands of opinions every day. If you choose to read them, they're, they're just all there. And it's been hard for me to even make heads or tails of what information means what. And so I think if it would be great, first of all, if you could just help us a little bit understand what, what's important to pay attention to, more, maybe more importantly, what's important to ignore. And then how do we start to apply whatever information we have into this sort of persistent calling to follow Jesus, even in the midst of a pandemic? I'd just love to hear your thoughts on all of that. That's that's just just a couple of quick thoughts. Huh? Baby question, <laughs> little T ball. Take thirty that's seconds. Right. Well, you know, I I think to me what this pandemic has done is it has brought the fragility of life, the reality that death is all around us to our community. We live in a world where we have good health care in our community. The infant mortality rate is really quite low. We live in a world that is quite safe, and this pandemic has brought the reality that death does lurk around the corner every day. We all know that if we get in a car, we may have a wreck and, and, and die. The reality is I work in an intensive care unit where we have death and, and disease and disability as part of our daily language. And as a community, we now live in that same world where we have death tickers that are on the computer, our screens and on the TV. And so we can see, you know, how many people have died in, in the world at first. And then, and then it got more local and, you know, the pandemic hit the U.S. and largely New York. And so we were able to watch the, the case counts and the death toll rise in New York. And then, you know, as a community, we could feel it coming towards us as the numbers were getting closer and closer and moving down the East Coast into to New Orleans and 
and Detroit and other centers that have been really hit hard. And, and so we now are two months into this where we have some sense of what it means for, for us as a community. But for the first time in many people's lives, those sorts of concepts of of coming death, of a virus that we don't have a vaccine for. We have a virus like most of them. We don't have many terribly effective antivirals. And so the notion that something could come and, and that I can't see that's going to that's gonna change my life and could potentially uh, cause my death has now become part of our daily consciousness. And I think that has, that has changed us a lot. And unfortunately, it has it has brought out some negative things. But I think on the the positive side, you you see tremendous courage around us as well. And so I think as believers, as we walk through something like this, that Paul gave us a really nice kind of grid to kind of plug this into. And I'm going to get back into the information in a minute. But he said in Second Timothy one seven that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, or but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and a strong mind. As we begin to try and process the information around us, to first know that the Spirit of God is in us that is going to be able to help discern truth in us, help guide us in the, the, the right directions. And fundamentally, he is about how we relate to those around us. And so as we see people impacted by disease, either physically or emotionally or economically, that our hearts and and our minds should really go out to them. But he's also given us, though, uh, a a strong mind. And so we we do have to learn to sift through, as you mentioned before, an almost unimaginable amount of information to try and get at the truth. Because you hear things all across the spectrum, from it's not really a thing, it's sort of made up, to this is the end of the world. And so we have to be able to sift through it and pay attention to the data and then allow that to to guide the public health decisions that we make. I love what you said there because, you know, as, as, as much as it may seem obvious to take sort of a balanced approach, it's really easy to get into ditches, especially if you really want to feel like you're in control of your own life. And then, you know, the information leads you to just how out of control you are. I was telling somebody else the, the other day, I, I have a, a few of what they have deemed to be high risk scenarios within my body here. But I was telling someone, I'm trying to take this very seriously. Of course, I don't want to catch it and I don't want to participate in spreading it. And on the other hand, it just sort of feels like there's a new thing in the world that could kill you today. Like you said, we're talking about get in a car, you go to the HEB, you know, anything could happen. And so in that sense, in the midst of all those things that have the opportunity to take your life every single time you leave the house, or even if you stay in the house, we, we still have to sort of press through that, put our focus where it needs to be. And remember that this world is not the only one. And it's been sort of interesting. We, we had planned here in the city of Austin to do this series about Imagine Heaven and what's after ATX and thinking about life after life or life after death, as some people call it. And of course, to have that kind of, of message coming to us from literally hundreds of pulpits around town at the same time that COVID has hit seems a bit fortuitous, in my opinion. What, what do you think that God is trying to get across to his people in this time right now, John? When you look back at church history, Christ is most clearly seen when his church is functioning as his body in the moments of crisis, whether it's natural disasters or diseases all the way back to the the Black Death or the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages. It was, it was the church that very often that's, that's leading the charge into the fray to love those around them. 
And so I think God right now is about what he's always about. He isn't trying to necessarily speak something new or different to us. I think that that this, though, does need to be a reminder to us of the fragility of life. As I said before, I mean, I I have to have conversations about life and death with families all the time. It it is now something, though, that that our community has at the forefront of its mind. And I do think that there's, there's real clarity if we allow in moments of crisis because it does really help distill down what is important and what is not. When you're in an intensive care unit, they say there are no there are no atheists in that context. And I know that's a bit of an oversimplification. But when you are faced with your own life or death, when you're faced with even even worse as a parent, the life or death of your child, it does bring to light certain things that are easier to think than they are to really live. And so a a message of nothingness or a message of absolute relativity or a, a message that, that would say that we are nothing more than a hodgepodge of, of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen atoms sort of swirled together in some random set of events that led to what I now perceive as my consciousness doesn't hold water in the same way when you're, when you're in the middle of storm. And so I do think that, that God has uh, clarity for us. I think in the middle of this crisis, God does want us to seek clarity about who he is and what he has for us and what really matters. It's a great question to consider what really matters because, you know, it's interesting to see people grasping onto things that are important, but maybe don't matter quite as much. I mean, I was, I was a little bit blown away. I was just seeing someone uh, talk about uh, how they don't want to attend a church that would require them to wear a mask because the church is now participating in the limitations of their own personal freedoms and their right to be an American. And I, and I was, so I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, like this, this, this is fundamentally not about you. Like it's about everyone else. And, and it has absolutely nothing to do with your freedoms. But for some reason, even small things like saying, please wear a mask when you enter into the particular church or to a business or whatever has, has caused people to white knuckle their own personal freedom to, to the point that they just, I'm not going to wear a mask because I don't have to. And, and then you see on the other side, people who are so fearful of the, the COVID virus and rightfully so. I mean, many people that you and I know have lost family members over this. It's like you said, this is a real thing. This is not made up. It's a real thing. But on the other hand, you can you can sort of see people's hearts going towards such a place of fear that they really just want to put their lives on pause and do nothing except just protect, 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 protect. And it just seems to me that that what God would have for us is somewhere in between those extremes. And Jack Hammonds was talking with us on a on a previous Thursdays of for thinking and talked to us about plagues that the church encountered, you know, around three hundred AD and how they continued to do the work. And one of the things I found interesting was they they weren't cavalier in the face of the the pandemic that they were facing, but they were willing to to sort of put their lives on the line for the benefit of someone else, to go and serve someone else who was sick. It was the Christians who were going to take care of the sick, who were taking food to those who could not eat. And and, and John, don't you think maybe that's what God's still calling us to do, to, to not be cavalier, but to get involved in helping the people that need help? And if the best thing we can do is just to keep a mask on when we walk into a building, wouldn't you say it's worth it? For sure. Yeah, but so much of this dialogue that we hear around us is driven by people's feelings and not necessarily their thoughts. And you see a lot of it coming 
out now is the question of who's going to get the vaccine or who's going to take the vaccine or are, are vaccines the cause of various other healthcare issues or diseases and emotion really can take over. And as you mentioned, the concept of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask has become more than just a public health measure, but it's become a bit of a political statement where if you're on one side of the spectrum, you know, don't limit my freedom. I, I get to spew my saliva wherever I want it and, and to hell with the consequences. And on the other, a fearful, I, I can't leave my house because th there's virus everywhere wherein the reality is, is, is somewhere in between. If you look here in Austin, we've had about 2,500 cases. Now that, that pales in comparison to what they've seen in, in New York City, for example. So the, the penetrance of the disease, meaning how many people per thousand have the disease in Austin, is very different than if you were to sample a, a group in Manhattan. And so we have to put the risk in the context of kind of what we see around us. We have had 77 deaths here. We've had people die in our community from COVID. And so it's not just like the flu. It's a much bigger deal than that. It is far more virulent in the sense that the case fatality rate is at least 10 times and maybe 40 times that of standard flu. So it is a real thing, but there's still so much work that has to be done. And if you look at the, the hospitals, they don't get the option of just sort of closing down. And I think as believers, we don't get the option of just sort of closing down to the world around us. As I mentioned with 2 Timothy 1.7, if, if we're to love people around us, we can't stay holed up in our homes exclusively. We have to be wise about going out. We have to practice social distancing. Hand hygiene is, is terribly important. The, the masking does prevent potentially spreading the virus to somebody else. It doesn't make it where it couldn't happen. It just makes it a lot less likely. And all of this is about mitigating risk and recognizing that to be completely locked in our house has a risk associated with it as well. The, the isolation itself has risk. And so we're going to balance the risk of, of spreading a virus and of being isolated and not able to serve anyone. And we have to kind of stand in the middle with this. For healthcare providers, we have to go to the hospital. You know, I have to, I have to be in the ICU if I'm working in there. But we, we wear masks. We have our temperatures checked uh, before we come in. We are asked a series of questions uh, before we can come in. And then even when we're in the hospital, working to socially distance uh, as, as best we can. We've used video conferencing to, to speak with families. We've changed how we go and round on the patients to try and, and, and have smaller groups and space people out better. So we are still showing up at work. We're still doing the things that need to be done. But then we're also in the context of the, the truth of the virus. We are making decisions about how we can best minimize the, the potential spread of the disease. As a community, we, we just should be very thankful that the curve has been as flat as it has been. And that is the result of, of so many people sacrificing by social distancing, mm -hmm. sacrificing by by staying at home, sacrificing by washing their hands and all these things that can seem an annoyance. If we hadn't done those things, if we just sort of continued life as it was, this would look very, very different in our country. We are not likely to, to, to get to where New York was. 
And as a provider, that's a huge goal of mine. As you look at a, a, a public health community, we don't want to be overwhelmed, which is mm-hmm. what you saw in, in northern Italy. It's what you saw in Spain and, and in, in instances in New York where the healthcare system doesn't have the capacity to handle the volume of patients. And what that means then is that person X, who if they'd had this same disease process with plenty of resources, plenty of providers, plenty of everything around them would have survived. But because the system itself is overwhelmed, then you have people that would have survived not surviving, not just because of the disease, but because the system doesn't have the capacity to provide the supportive care that they need in an ideal or an optimal fashion because of the volume of patients. Mm. And that has absolutely been, been seen around the world. And so we, we can't just ignore those truths, but we, we also can walk in the freedom that says our data are different than New York. And so we can live a little bit differently. We still have to be wise, but we're not going to live in fear. Mm. That's good. I, at last count, I was seeing 89 people hospitalized in Travis County. It looks like 31 in an ICU situation and 21 of them on, on ventilators. How did those numbers stack up against the capacity in our area? So how, how much are we tapping into what we're able to handle as far as you know? We are, our community should feel very comfortable with the capacity that we have here and the disease burden that we've seen thus far. We're not, we're not close to, to being overwhelmed. We're not close to, 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 to not having the resources to take care of the patients that, that, that we, that we are confronted with. Now that said, we still have to continue to be wise, continue to try and socially distance, wear a mask when you're out in in public and you're going to be around people. If you're walking through your neighborhood and no one's within 20 feet of you, you know, the mask doesn't help. But if you're going to the grocery store, you're going to be where you can get near somebody, just wear a mask. It it may be my life that that you're saving. It also may be, it may be preventing me from having to go work in an adult ICU, which I I have friends of mine that are neonatologists in New York that have been called to duty as, as baby ICU doctors in an adult ICU just because they need providers. They need all hands on deck to, to try and take care of the volume of patients that they have there. And as a community, that's, that's what being overwhelmed kind of looks like. When you have providers that's not their specific discipline that are working to provide care in those areas, operating really outside of their specific area of expertise, like a neonatologist or an OBGYN working in an adult ICU to care for COVID patients because there are so many of them. Well, I'm glad to know that we are not at that point here in Travis County, and God willing, we will not end up there. I really appreciate your time, and I don't want to take too much more of it, but but I do have just sort of one little question or a bucket of, of a couple questions maybe. And that relates to our local church. So we've obviously made a decision to at least put a date in pencil on a calendar of July the 5th. And we're still sort of watching the the, the numbers and the trends. But as someone who is a decision maker in, in that particular decision, and also someone who is well-versed in public health and with taking care of people in our community here in Austin, what sort of things, John, are you looking at over the, the next four to five weeks as we approach that day? to sort of increase or decrease the certainty as to whether or not we'll really be able to execute on that decision? 
Well, looking at uh, total case count, looking at the number of deaths, but then for me, I think the number of hospitalized patients is a bit more concrete in some ways because that's the capacity we're looking at here is if you go back for the last two and a half weeks, we've had between 80 and 90-ish patients hospitalized per day, and that's been pretty flat. And so that's encouraging to me that, that despite the fact that we're having more and more infections, we're pretty stagnant with respect to how many patients we have in the hospital how many patients on the ventilator. We, we've also had you know, 20 to 25 people on the ventilator over that same time frame, and that's not going up dramatically. So what that means is that as new people are coming in, some are getting better. There are some that die, but we haven't had anybody die from COVID in the last three or four days. So I think those numbers are really important for us to keep an eye on. If you look at when we would expect to see some impact of the opening uh, up of Austin, it's going to take at least two days and you know, may take as long as two weeks for people who are infected on day one to actually then have manifestations of the disease. It's also pretty common that that, that first bit is a little milder and then very often they'll get sick as they get to the end of the first week or beginning that second week of disease. So if we open up on day one, it's going to take a couple of weeks to really begin to get a flavor for what that opening up means. And if you look around the country, it has meant different things in different states. It, it has looked a little better from a, a rough look at the numbers in Georgia than it has in, in Texas. We, we have continued to see cases go up. I'm pleased that our hospitalizations have not risen dramatically, but we're going to have to really watch that. And so, uh, as you mentioned, we have a, a date on the calendar. It's a date in pencil. And so we're going to be looking at these trends, looking at these numbers as we get into the next one and two and three and four weeks to help guide what is wise because we, we want to be together. You know, we individually and, and corporately benefit from worshiping together in a space and being with the the body of Christ, not just remotely and with video, but actually being there together, being with people. But we have stopped doing that because we recognize the real public health risk that that confers to the, the people in the church and, and to our community. And so we are soldiering on with the community, trying to, to wisely walk between the data for the disease and our desire to be together as a as a spiritual body, but but we are gonna we're gonna be driven by the data. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna look at the data in our community and and use that to help guide the reestablishment of Sunday morning services in person. They're gonna have to be limited a bit at first. We're not gonna be able to just flip the switch and put 400 people back into our, our sanctuary on day one. We're gonna have to. Uh, work through a lot of processes and procedures to be able to do that wisely. But those are the, the data that we will be looking at.
Well, man, we are grateful for you and your leadership for many, many years. Thank you for always being steady and wise and patient and also willing, though, to, to, to stare down a risk and to stare down fear and to walk up against it when the Lord calls you to. And thanks so much for joining us on this podcast today as well. It's been good to have a conversation with you. I hope that it's encouraging to people to hear how you're thinking about these things and to bring sort of a, a balance to it. I know I feel encouraged and also, you know, vigilant at the same time. And so that's what you're inspiring in me. And I'm sure that's what you'll inspire in others. So thank you for that as well. Well, thank you, Nathan. That's those very kind words. I, I really appreciate that. It is a, a privilege and an honor to serve this, this house. We have walked through a lot of things personally as our church has transitioned and grown and dealt with our finances like, like any other church does. But, but God has been our refuge. He has been our strength. He has been very present to us in the course of, of our history. And He will continue to be that for us as we walk through this COVID situation as well. So thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. Thank you very much. Hey, I hope that you've enjoyed this special edition of Thursday's R for Thinking. Keep in mind, we have Tuesday's R for Talking. That's our weekly podcast. It comes out every Tuesday. And you can also keep up with all of our latest content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, on Twitter. We hope to see you virtually at a service sometime soon. And God willing, on July 5th, back in the building at Mosaic Church. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.